Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, and I'm excited about this interview. We have a very special guest, a fellow podcast host who has done probably, I don't know, a thousand more podcasts than, than we have. He's been doing it forever. His name is Jason Hartman. Uh, he'll be on just a second here. But Alex, how are you, my man? I am okay. I'm a little sad today as it is October 15th, <laughs> the day of decision for those who filed extensions yeah. on April 15th. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you how much you paid. No, we're it, not going to disclose the amount, but... It was a lot. Let's just say... <laughs> If you were offered a job of this amount, you would be placed in the, I don't know, <laughs> the top 5% of income earners. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, Jason, uh, who's on our show today, he's got a lot of advice, I'm sure, about taxes. Oh, I'm all ears. Because there's there's a lot of, um, I, I just love listening to Jason's podcast. I've been trying forever to get him on. Um, and he's finally agreed to come on and, um, but yeah, we're probably going to talk about that. But anyway, um, guys, I just want to let you know, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, check out our fast cash survival kit. We talk about how J uh, how Alex and I, how we wholesale deals and kind of how we run our businesses. We, we outsource a lot of it. Uh, we travel a lot. We've got a lot of kids. So we have a lot in common and, uh, <laughs> But we, we run very successful wholesaling businesses. Um, and Alex is now doing more rehabbing and fixing and flipping. So you get more information about New that. New construction, actually. New I construction. Guess. That's right. You know what? I need to – there's a guy, uh, Steve Cook, that we need to talk to on our podcast about new construction. He's doing a lot of that up right now in, in Baraboo, Wisconsin. <laughs> so, Sounds like a happening place. Yeah. <laughs> So um, anything else that we need to talk about before we introduce? Oh, yeah. Reviews. I want to thank everybody. We've gotten like 20 or 30 reviews in the last um, week or two. Awesome. Because we've just been emailing people, hey, if you like the show, leave us a review and we'll give you some cool free bonuses. Um, so there's a post in our on the website, realestateinvestingmastery.com. From when this, by the time this podcast is published, it'll be a few weeks back. I think it's called... Well, it's the podcast in between 76 and 77. It's called Leave a Review, Get Cool Stuff, Free Stuff. And on there, if you leave us a review and you send an email saying, hey, I left your review, whether it's negative or positive, doesn't matter, we'll send you some free stuff. We got a couple books that we'll send you for free, um, the PDF version of the books, and we'll send you some videos and stuff like that. So please leave us a review. We appreciate it. Um, even though our friend Jason Hartman, who's on the show today, has literally like a thousand more podcasts than we do. We do have more reviews than Jason does. <laughs> yeah, wow. I'm not good at that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you'll see in the rankings, by the way, if you go into iTunes and, and do a search for real estate investing, uh, Jason Hartman is always at the top with his Creating Wealth podcast. He's been doing Jason, how long have you been doing this? Seven years, my friend. Seven wow. years. Long time. Yeah. So he's kind of, you're kind of like the godfather of podcasting. 
I was podcasting in the day when nobody knew what a podcast was. It was funny. I would do a live event, a seminar, and I would ask people, how many in the room have heard of a podcast? And in in my room, it was more and more because they were usually coming to the live event because of the podcast. But uh, boy, in the beginning, I would ask people, they're like, what's that? You know, does it have to do, I don't have an iPod, they'd say. <laughs> yeah. But how many different um, podcasts do you have, Jason? Um, well, it t- kind of depends how you count because some have accompanying video podcasts and we're really working on getting those accompanying video podcasts going for more and more of the shows just to pick up some extra listeners, you know, in different mediums. But uh, but 18 would be the fundamental number of shows, I guess, uh, the, the foundational number. That's amazing. 18, 18 different shows, about uh, 1,600 episodes, I believe, somewhere around there. And I, I just love it because, you know, I get to talk to such interesting people all day, even if they're interviewing me or I'm interviewing them. It's it's a fascinating business. You you just learn so much. And like you guys, I mean, I just want to always be a lifelong learner. Well, you know, um, if you were to go to iTunes and look up uh, real estate investing, you'll see Jason Hartman's show, The Creating Wealth Show. That's your number one podcast, right? Yeah, that's the big one that I started with a long time ago. And you have 422 episodes in there. You do them about... I'd say two, three episodes a week. Yeah, three. We're doing three a week now, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. One of the big mistakes I've made over the years is, you know, I haven't always been totally consistent about my publishing schedule. And it's not that you have to publish so often. It's just that you have to publish consistently. You know, that's that's yeah. really one of the keys. And and the other thing is, as, as you noted very well, I never ask for reviews. Literally on the last episode, I think, <laughs> or two episodes ago was the first time I really asked anyone to write a review. And I'm going to do that more and more. And I think a little bit of a gift for a review is a good idea. I've never done that. And I got to get on it. I agree. I've only got like 107 reviews or something. Well, I didn't mean that in a bad way. I was. Oh, you're, hey, listen, you're <laughs> right. I, I'm happy to take constructive cons- uh, criticism. You're right. But here's the cool thing. If you go into iTunes and you go to your show and you scroll all the way to the bottom, um, you see the section called listeners also subscribed to, and we're number one. We're, your listeners are subscribing to our podcast um, more than any other podcast. Our, well, then I guess they're listening now, aren't they? Hello, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes to show what the good listeners we have. Um, yes, it does. But uh, I'm excited about talking with you, Jason, because I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. Um, you cover so many different topics um, that all relate to creating wealth and real estate in general. Um, but uh, you interview some fantastic guests. You talk about um, things really going on in the economy and how macro and ec- microeconomics really do affect what you know our business. They affect what we're doing every day. And um, I, I just wanted to say I appreciate that because you're putting out a ton of work. I mean, it's not easy putting out these podcasts. And uh, you've been doing this for a really long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I just love doing it. So, uh, you know, I'm glad to be here talking to you on your show and and sharing um, any real estate advice to uh, the people who aren't already listening to my show. <laughs> well, cool. Um, and, and um, oh, never mind. I was going to say something else. But. Jason, could you give us a little background maybe on uh, you? How did you get involved with real estate investing? Well, uh, good question. Uh, back when I was uh, the ripe old age of 16 years old, I saw an infomercial uh, for a real estate guru that was promoting his book and his uh, methodology. 
And uh, I grew up rather poor, didn't have much money at all growing up. And by about ninth grade, I, I realized, you know, this money thing kind of matters. I, I, I didn't pay too much attention to it before, I guess. Uh, but um, the reason I knew it mattered is because uh, all the best looking girls in junior high school were hanging around the ki- other kids who had money and, you know, nice clothes and all this stuff and right. soon to have nice cars. And, you know, so I saw this infomercial when I was 16 and, um, I went out and I got the book of the, uh, the guru on the infomercial and I read three chapters of it. I put it down but my mom picked it up and read the rest. You know, I was, I was only 16. I mean, you know, you never follow through with anything too much when you're that age. And uh, I put it down. And then two years later, I'm 18 years old. I'm about to graduate from high school. And my mom says to me, she says, hey, Jason, you know, you're the one that got me interested in this whole real estate topic. Uh, and I've been you know, following it for the last two years, going to seminars and so forth. And now there's this big event in Anaheim. And, um, uh, you know, why don't you go? It's near Disneyland. And, and that wasn't far from where I lived. And, and so I went and I I rounded up nine of my buddies from high school. And I said, Hey, you know, we got to go to this seminar, blah, blah, blah. All of them came Friday night. Saturday morning, only one was left. Everybody else went to the beach. And by Sunday afternoon, I was the only one that went went through the whole weekend. And, uh, you know, I, I just, when I heard those speakers talking at the, at the seminar, I didn't know what they were talking about, you know. And I remember I was a big fan. I had discovered Earl Nightingale and uh, Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn and Dennis Waitley when I was 17 years old. And uh, Earl Nightingale told me, he said, you know, just do the basics first for anything. If you want to get rich in real estate, learn the business first. So I enrolled in Century 21 Real Estate School for a whopping $99. Even back then, that wasn't much money. And I got my real estate license my first year of college. I started selling real estate and I worked with a lot of investors. And so that really was the beginning. I got my license two weeks before my 20th birthday. And, you know, I was going to college and I just started selling real estate part time. And my first full month in the real estate business, uh, which was October, my birthday month, uh, I made $43,000. And I started working when I was 14 years old. And I only made minimum wage my whole life before that. And I thought, this is incredible. <laughs> and uh, so that was that? the that that was the start of the sales business. Okay, so check this out, Jason. Then, I'm sorry. One of the pro- yeah. What year was that, Jason? Oh, yeah, this was in the eighties. Eighties. And you made forty three thousand dollars. Yep. Yeah, something. you're adjusting for inflation, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a you're, lot of money. <laughs> you you guys are investors, yeah. Uh, and 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 so check this out. Uh, one of my clients, his name was Jim. He bought a property from me in Huntington Beach, California, on Coventry Lane. And he didn't like this property. It was a little one-bedroom condo. And about six months later, he says to me, you know, I want to list this property. I want to sell it. Why don't you sell it for me? And, you know, I was, I was an agent, right? So I, I, I thought, well, maybe I should take this listing and sell it for him. But then I thought, you know, why don't I just buy it from him? And this will be my first investment property. So I was 20 years old, and I bought my first property from a client. And that really started my investing career. Wow. And you know, Jason, you still look like you're 20 years old. Yeah. yeah. You know, I got the lucky jeans club. That's the way my whole family is. <laughs> but good for I'm, you. I'm not 20 anymore. <laughs> You've been investing since the 80s. That's yeah. crazy. You've seen the market go up and down and 
do nothing and be flat. Talk a little bit about, you know, the how the market has changed over the years and how you've stayed consistent and successful through all of the ups and downs like that. Yeah, well, good question. It's it's definitely uh, you know, the market has definitely become more sophisticated. There are a lot lot of tools out there, software. I mean, you know, back in that day, we didn't even even have the internet. So, you know, of course, the industry has massively changed as every industry has, but the principles of investing haven't changed uh, too much. I mean, there's there are some new tweaks and and new distinctions, but the basic idea is is that, you know, Income property is still by far the most historically proven asset class in America. And uh, there's, there's simply no other way to do this uh, and to create real long-term wealth with starting with very little money than with income property. I mean, think about it. You look at the Wall Street crew. Where are all the stories I mean, there are none, basically, right? Where are all the stories of the guy starting with five or ten thousand dollars, or you know, by today's dollars, maybe twenty thousand dollars, and getting rich buying mutual funds huh. or stocks or anything Wall Street sells? There aren't any stories like that, you know. Right. I don't know any. I've never heard one. And uh, and and you know, you just look at income property; it just works. It's a pretty simple thing. Uh, you can do it at any scale. You can do it at a giant institutional scale. You can do it at a small personal scale. And uh, I would just encourage uh, own and control assets that the entire world needs. The whole human race needs you know, three basic things, food, clothing, and shelter. Let them rent that shelter from you. You know, Jason, I think I heard on your show one time, long time ago, I don't remember when or where, but... Um if you look at the population growth projections in the United States, it's insane. Like they predict the United States, the population of the United States will double. And I think this is correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I don't even know what I'm talking about, but it will double. But I think the year 2050, 22050. Yeah. I think the prediction is 2050. We're going to have 400 million people in the country. We've got 310 million now. Okay. And so that is a giant increase. I mean, it right. is epic. And around the world, we're going to have, I believe by then, we're going to have about nine and a half billion people, they say, uh, if I've got my numbers right here. And the, as the population increases, more and more demand for housing and all the ingredients of housing, all the raw materials of housing. So yeah. uh, be, be on the... Uh, the, the the wave of, of that and uh, and you can profit very nicely from it. So I imagine you're always bullish on real estate. Well, um, is that a good way to put it? It depends. Uh, maybe. Uh, I mean, I'm not always bullish uh, on all real estate. Uh, I think that long term there is a reason to be bullish. Uh, during the depths of the financial crisis, it was hard to be bullish, but obviously that turned around, and it always does. And people made a lot of money investing in real estate during that time, being contrarian investors and having the faith and the courage uh, in the asset class during the time when nobody else did. So uh, that was, uh, you know, that that was very true. But but long term, yeah, I'm definitely bullish. I, I mean, you've got to you've got to structure your deals properly. You've got to do them in the right markets, and uh, there there's always a way to make money right with real estate. 
And excuse me, you're obviously putting your money where your mouth is because you own a lot of real estate yourself. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, by the way, I, I, I'm looking forward to talking with you too about you do travel a lot. And I'd like to talk about how you manage your business while you're traveling. But you own real estate in a bunch of different markets, not just the United States. Talk, talk a little bit about what you owe. Would you mind? Yeah, sure. Um, my The most diversification I've done, which, by the way, I'm going to say was a bit of a mistake. I mean, this is one of my many mistakes I've made over the years. <laughs> and uh, and that is I've had properties in 17 cities and 11 states. And what I've been doing lately is uh, trying to undiversify my portfolio a bit and, um, and, and pare that down to fewer markets uh, just for ease of management. But what I think investors should do, depending on how big their portfolio is, is they should be in three to five cities, okay? okay. You want to be diversified because that can really, really reduce your risk and, uh, and play out well. But you don't want to be over-diversified. One of the mistakes I made was over-diversifying a little too much. Interesting. You, one of the things I know that you help people do is you help people buy solid investment properties in multiple different markets. So you do property tours and you partner with people. And I think um, you've actually partnered with people in my own backyard here in St. Louis. And mm -hmm. uh, I've heard you mention this on the podcast before. There, there are a lot of challenges um, with some of the properties here. Um, but well, it's not the properties there particularly or the market. We've just had some challenges with our provider there right. in not finishing the properties quickly enough. Right. So that's been a bit of it. Most of that's worked its, its way through the system, uh, you know, the vast majority by now. And I got to imagine that presents its own challenges, too, when you're looking at properties in different markets. You're looking at the economy in that area. The, you're, you look at jobs. You look at uh, the industries that are there, the demand for housing, the return on investments. Can you talk a little bit maybe about what are the fundamentals of real estate that you teach your clients to to look at when they're deciding on which uh, income property to buy? Well, the most fundamental thing is cash flow. Uh, you know, I used to be a California type of investor, and uh, I would be investing for speculative reasons and appreciation. But that is just too risky. You know, I've, I've gotten much more conservative over the years. And uh, one of my Ten Commandments of Successful Investing, and number five, uh, is thou shalt not gamble. Okay, you've got to you've got to buy properties that make sense the day you buy them. And what do I mean by making sense? I mean cash flow. That is the fundamental determinant of whether or not an investment actually works. So you've got to have good cash flow. You've got to have good rent to value ratios or RV ratios uh, the the day you buy the property. Okay, uh, if you're investing for appreciation. You know, you might have a few wins, but trust me, you're eventually going to get in trouble with that that mentality. When you're looking for a new market to invest in properties, can you maybe talk about what are some of the markets you like right now and why do you like those markets? Yeah, good question. So uh, right now, now, one of the things I do want to say when, you, when I answer this question is that there are markets, I freely admit that there are markets that I like that we're not in. And uh, one of the reasons is that we just don't have a good team in these markets. So we have what we call local market specialists, our boots on the ground team that acquires properties, rehabs or fixes properties up, rents the properties and manages the properties and provides ongoing maintenance 
uh, management and monitoring of the client's portfolio in these markets. So I always like to say, I would rather invest in a B market with an A team than I would in an A market with a B team. Because the team and the support network you have is far more important than the marketplace itself. That's really Uh, good. all of the markets I'll mention, I think, are A markets. Okay, they're great markets in which to invest. But there are some other markets I really like that we're not in. And, you know, uh, one of them is Charlotte, North Carolina. I think that's a, a good place to invest. But we're not in it because we don't have a good team there right now. You know, we've we've done hundreds of transactions in there over the years. And, uh, you know, just at the moment, we're not recommending it because we're just not, uh, we're not uh, crazy about uh, the teams we have. So right now, what, what, what I like, you know, I'd say my top seven markets would be Little Rock, Arkansas. Arkansas is the most landlord-friendly state in the country Interesting. by far. And, uh, and that's good. You may have heard me talk about that on the podcast. And uh, I like Memphis a lot. Memphis is like this sort of blue-collar town where you've got a whole bunch of people making forty grand a year, and they make good tenants, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Memphis I like a lot. Atlanta, Georgia has been a fantastic market, done lots and lots of business over there over the years. Same with Houston, Texas. Uh, Houston, you've got big medical, big energy and oil interest, and a somewhat transient population in, in a good way. I, I mean, transient where people move there for two years and then they move out, so they don't buy, you know, a lot of times. So they'll, just, they'll just rent, and yeah. that's great. And uh, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Birmingham, Alabama, all great markets. Interesting. And you look at, talk about some of the, uh, what do you call them, metrics that you look at. Do you look at job growth? Do you look at average, the median price versus the rents, the average rents and things like that? Yeah, we look at, uh, we certainly want to look at job creation. Uh, That's a huge factor. We want to look at what we call in-migration versus out-migration. You know, are people moving into the city or are they moving out? Uh, We want to look at uh, the income versus the median price and the rents for a house in that market. And we want to have properties that rent for somewhere in the neighborhood. And by the way, I should mention, this is not as good as it used to be. And it's getting worse as prices increase because rents follow in a much slower fashion than prices. Okay. So we want to look at RV or rent-to-value ratios of somewhere in the neighborhood of 1% ideally, okay? okay. And those are, those, are, those are diminishing, you know, they're, they're not as good as they used to be. So, uh, you know, that's, those, those are some of the things. Now, Jason, you host a lot of workshops around the country uh, teaching people these kinds of fundamentals to real estate. And um, you, you talk about different markets. Um, you also teach them a lot of you mentioned the Ten Commandments, and I'm wondering if maybe you if you have something on those the Ten Commandments of real estate investing that we could share with our audience. Would that be all right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so if, guys, if you want to get the list of the Ten Commandments that Jason's put together, if you go to Real Estate Investing Mastery, go to the show notes in there. We'll have a link for that file, so you can get that and look at it. Um, but when you talk when you're teaching a group, uh, Jason. Um, Hey, you know what else? You know what else I want to give you yeah. for your listeners. Uh, I, I, I know you wanted to ask me about the refi till you die plan. Yeah, yeah. and be, and because there's a lot of numbers in that plan, 
I, I want to I want to provide you with uh, some PDF on that as well. Okay, good, good, yeah. Because I think that'll really really help your listeners. You know, we might go over the numbers on the show, and if someone's driving their car at the gym working out or walking their dog, you know, these numbers may not really resonate. So uh, so I'll provide something for you there too. Because that awesome. Yeah, that leads into my next question because you train people um, what to look for when buying a property. Can you kind of highlight some of the points that you make on on what to look for, the mistakes to avoid, things like that, and then and then talk. Well, then we'll talk about the refi till you die. You know, I guess the most common mistakes would sort of be the reverse of my ten commandments. Okay, and I really now have twenty commandments. There's an addendum. Oh, <laughs> you know, okay, Mo- right. Moses only got ten from God, and I, I got twenty. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, you know, the first one is become educated. So the mistake would be not being educated. Uh, and so let me give you a caveat on that. Don't become educated in the sense that you, you know, don't think uh, there's a lot of great information out there like your podcast nowadays. You do not have to spend a fortune on education. You know, we've had people come to us that have spent, I kid you not, $62,000 on coaching programs wow. from, you know, big real estate gurus. And they, they, Come to my my Creating Wealth seminar, and, and I've got my next one coming up in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, with, combined with a market tour. And uh, they come to the seminar, and at the first morning break, or at least by lunch, you know, whether it be 10.30 a.m. or 12 noon, they, they will invariably come up to me being very distraught, saying, you know, I just spent tens of thousands of dollars on a coaching program and I have learned less than you already told me in the first couple of hours. And I said, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you. You, you could have purchased a couple of properties, you know. And, and so I, I think education is vitally important. I mean, no one would say it's not, right? But you don't need to overspend. I mean, there's a lot of great information that's either free or, or really inexpensive, and, you know, try and re- reserve your capital for actual investing rather than being a, a seminar junkie or an info product junkie, you know? Yeah. I, I look at I, I like info products. I think coaching is a great idea. I'm just saying don't break the bank to do it, okay? Prudent education, a lot of great stuff out there for free or low cost. And there's also no better education than experience. And That's for sure. Yeah, and, and definitely – because I meet so many people too that spent a lot of money on education and have no money left for marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> you, you got to have something, um, and and that's something that we talk a lot about on the show. Jason is uh, how to do marketing, how to get find the deals yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, talk about the refi till you die. What yeah? What does that mean? That's that, for, that raises red flags to I think a lot of people it did to me when I first heard it. So well, tell me tell me about your red flag. I'm curious. Why would it raise a red flag? I had one guy say he thought it was a pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is my thought. I mean, usually when you do rentals, I mean, a lot of people shoot for paid off cash flowing rentals where you don't have to worry about, okay, now the tenant leaves. Oh my, oh crap. I need to pay the rent. And if you have 10 tenants that leave and crap, you've got to pay the rent. You could put yourself in a little bit of a pickle. So, um, a lot of, you know, a debt free investing is something that, um, 
I think a lot of people think about and, and myself as well. I'm like, well, I'd rather pay off one good rental that's going to make me $1,500 a month instead of having 10 rentals financed that will make me $1,500 a month. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally get it. But with the Here 10 rentals in that example, you're going to be controlling a lot more real estate. So when you do have appreciation, you're going to do a lot better. You're going to have a lot more. You're going to have 10 times the tax write-off. Uh, it's just, and you're going to be 10 times as diversified. So I would much rather have those properties leveraged. You know, leverage, hmm. obviously people can get themselves into trouble with leverage. Okay, no one would deny that. But it's counterintuitive, you know. Uh, people think that the risky position is having the debt. And one of the things we have to remember as real estate investors is that we think we're in debt, but the reality is your properties are in debt. And we have these beautiful dynamics because income property is a multi-dimensional asset class. So we don't pay our own debts with real estate. We outsource our debts to a third party. We call them tenants. They pay our debts. And, and, and so the, that property, that asset will pay the debt for you. That's the idea. Now, look at, I don't have any personal debt. I don't like personal debt at all or consumer debt. I think people are, are crazy for getting into debt over what, what I call the appearances of wealth rather than the things that create real wealth for them. So when you, when you acquire debt, acquire debt that controls assets that have universal need. Everybody in the world needs housing. And, uh, and so you're in a much better position when you leverage your properties. As long as you have sensible rent-to-value ratios, so commandment number five, thou shalt not gamble. Property must make sense the day you buy it. And you're diversified. And you have, uh, you know, you, you've structured your deals properly is the basic idea. So the, the, debt, the debt is really an asset. Income property is the most debt-friendly asset in America. Certainly, the, um, a lot of people agree with that. I think there's, there's a good debate, and I don't want to get into all of that. Personally, for me as well, I'm kind of with Alex. I would rather, rather own a smaller portfolio of free and clear properties than a large portfolio. Because I've had, at one time I had uh, 16 rental properties, and they all cash flowed $100, $200 a month. And I made the fundamentals mistakes. I, I broke probably all of your commandments, Jason. This was back in 2000. I've broken some of my own myself, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was over leveraged. I was counting on appreciation, um, and I wasn't setting aside cash flow. Uh, I wasn't setting aside my cash flow um, for unforeseen uh, expenses like vacancies and repairs, which happen all the time. Mm-hmm. So, talk a little bit about for somebody who wants to take on a lot of leverage, how do they protect themselves when things go bad? Because they do. They buy properties that make sense the day they buy them. So my question is, where were your properties? Well, they were in St. Louis. Uh-huh. They, were all, yeah, they were all in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you bought them at the peak of the market, though? Yeah, and I didn't have much equity in them, and they only cash flowed uh, $100, $200 a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, certainly there is an element of market timing to this, no question about it. Uh, but, you know, if you buy properties that make sense from day one, you'll find that the cash flow is is pretty reliable. Well, what I mean, uh, I should clarify, too, that was gross cash flow, right? Uh-huh. So right. I, that's not that wasn't cash flow after 
setting aside money for vacancies and repairs, maintenance, things like that? Yeah, you always need to include a vacancy rate in your performa, and all of ours include an 8% vacancy rate or one month per year. You know, we want to see uh, you performa that vacancy rate, okay, so that... Uh, yeah, so do you also take out money for repairs and maintenance? Oh, of course, yeah. It okay. depends on the age of the property, but uh, we will perform anywhere from 3 to 8% for repairs and maintenance. And remember, when our clients buy these properties, they're freshly rehabbed or they're brand new. Occasionally they're brand new. And, uh, and so they're, they're fixed up already. So th these are properties in good areas. They're already fixed up. Um, and you, you take into account all of these things that you set aside for maintenance, repairs, and vacancies and stuff. And you have a property manager that manages the properties. Mm -hmm. So ideally in a good world, that, that all goes well. If there is a vacancy, you have some reserves to pay for that. Um, but can you talk about um, the refi till you die? So how do you how do you make money if you keep on refining these properties and you're only every time you refi, you're you're shrinking your cash flow? Does that make sense? Ah, young grasshopper. What a good question. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's similar to uh, Carlton Sheets. I remember seeing a commercial way, 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 way back when this this guy on the infomercial would be like, I treat my properties like money gardens. Every time they appreciate, I go back and I pull out the equity and I move on and I just keep waiting for that you know, to happen. <laughs> now, obviously yeah. that was back in the early 90s and there was a lot of appreciation going on back then, but... Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's this I love that money garden metaphor though. That's that's great. I mean, that really is true. Look at folks, the choice you have, if you want to pay your properties off, hey, go ahead. It's against my advice, okay? But you know, you you can have the money in the property or you can have the money in the bank or another investment and have control of it. When it's in the property, you don't have nearly as much control as you will if the money is stripped away from the property. Why should the property be your savings account? You know, uh, real estate is the best investment, but it's kind of a lousy bank. You know, it's it's not the best bank. Uh, you'd be, I'd rather have my money in the bank than in the property because then at least I have choices and I have control. And remember something else. You never own a property free and clear. It's impossible. And I'll tell you why. If you think, oh, well, I've paid the mortgage off. It's free and clear. It's debt free. No, it's not. You have a perpetual lien on your property called property taxes. It never goes away. And you may well, as so many properties do nowadays, have a homeowner's association rep which represents another perpetual lien. And if you ever get into trouble with that property, if you have a bunch of equity in it, it makes it a target for foreclosure. Okay? So remember, lenders, property tax lien investors, homeowner's associations, they can become predatory where they look at the properties with the most equity and they think gosh if i've got if i've got a hundred non-performing loans in my portfolio as a lender and uh... three of those properties have a ton of equity in them what am i going to foreclose on first of course the ones with the biggest amount of equity <laughs> right. i mean you know you, equity makes you a target it doesn't make you safer it, it puts you more at risk it makes you a target if you don't pay your HOAs or your taxes, right? Yeah, which you can easily, you know, not do by mistake. <laughs> I mean, okay. you know, that people make mistakes like that all the time. 
And, um, and so, so that can be a problem. Or what about litigation? I mean, you know, everybody gets sued nowadays, right? We lit live in this litigation crazy world. And uh, your property is a target if it has equity. It's really easy to do a title search and find out what you own and find out how much equity the property has. Okay? Even, even if you own it in an entity, they can find it. Jason, how does refinancing build your wealth? Can you, from your perspective, how does that work? Let me, let me take you through this. So enough about the philosophy. Here's the actual, okay? So here's an example that I present in, in my live seminars. And it's an example of someone purchasing a $1 million portfolio. So these, these would probably be 10 single-family homes in three different markets. So you have 3.3 properties, <laughs> really you have four in one, and three properties in two. That's 10 properties, okay? In three different cities that, that make sense. So that's a $1 million value. You put 20% down on the portfolio, that's $200,000. And then your closing costs are about 3.5%, so that's another $35,000. And, you know, closing costs, of course, vary by area, type of loan you get, et cetera. Uh, and, um, and then you have reserves. You must have reserves for every property. And the minimum reserve requirement, in my opinion, is 4%. You can certainly have more, and I, I wouldn't discourage you from having more, but the minimum is 4% of the portfolio value. So in this case, we've got a million-dollar portfolio. We've got to have $40,000 in the bank just set aside for emergencies, repairs, vacancies, whatever. And by okay? the way, Jason, that was the one thing I did not have, which got me into trouble. Mm, I, yeah. I, I had zero money reserves. Money in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. you gotta, right. you got to have some money in the bank as reserves, so, so definitely important. See, on, in your case, I wish you would have purchased one less property and just kept that extra money in the bank for that one property you didn't buy. And then you would have been able to cover problems on the other properties. Because income property is a, is a game of attrition. Okay? It's a, it's a staying power game. And we know from history, and, and everybody listening I'm sure knows examples of this, of people who went through tough times and then those times turned around just as they have in the past three years for all of us, right? And then they made a fortune and people made a fortune in the past three years, right? Oh, yeah. And so, so you know, you got to be able to stay in the game. Never be forced to sell a property at an inopportune time. Okay, so, so you have – I'm sorry, Alex. Go ahead. Yeah, so, so basically just to understand this, right, we're talking about buying a million-dollar portfolio of properties. Uh, is that what you're talking yes. about? Put yeah. Put 200000 yeah. down. Mm -hmm. Ten properties in three markets, 200000 down. Mm-hmm. And these um, portfolios like this all together in one shot um, are, I'm assuming, when we talk about your clients and stuff like that, you build these portfolios like this and sell them off? Uh, well, no, no, no. We don't build the portfolio per se. Okay. We just help people build their own portfolio. So okay. So we're not a seller. We're a referral network. Okay. okay? So you're not assuming that somebody's going to come in with $200,000 uh, on a million dollar portfolio um, in one shot, this is maybe over time they accumulate this? Oh, 
oh, it could be overtime, but a lot of people do it immediately in one swoop, and a lot of people do a lot more than that in one swoop. I'm just, I'm just using this as an example because the sure. numbers are nice and round. Okay. Right. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay. So we've got 10 properties, and the total needed to buy these 10 properties in three diverse markets is 275000 with reserves. Okay. Now, there's, gonna, there's a lot of numbers here. So, again, I'm going to give you a printed version of this uh, that you can put on your website at that link. What was that link again that you wanted people to go to? Uh, realestateinvestingmastery.com and go to the show yeah. notes for this. Yeah, and we'll have that on there. Okay, good, good stuff. So all these numbers will be there, but I'll just take you through them. So everybody's probably heard of the rule of 72s. And the rule of 72s says that at 6% appreciation, which is, you know, arguably the historical average, I mean, some... Depending on what exact time frame you're looking at and what cities, you know, it, it, there's a lot of ways to slice and dice this. But, you know, most real estate experts will agree that real estate appreciates at a rate of about 6% nationally, okay, over time. So at 6% appreciation, your portfolio will double in value every 12 years. Now, you know, no one's going to get particularly excited about this until you really drill down and see how it works. Let's take an example of someone who's 40 years old, or I should say 40 years young, because age ain't what it used to be. Amen. One of, the, one of the big problems a lot of people will be facing nowadays is too much life left at the end of the money. Okay, and we want to we want to help people solve that problem, and uh, you know I, I mean like forty is the new twenty five, sixty is the new forty, and eighty is the new fifty five or sixty. I mean it's just a tremendous difference how health, not just lifespan increasing, but more importantly health span has increased. I mean, my mother is, you know, in her 70s, and she runs around like more energy than anybody ever met, <laughs> more than me. It's amazing, okay? Wow. You know, and, and so people are living longer, healthier, more active lives, which is great. So you're only 40 years young at the start of this plan. You do this million-dollar portfolio, and by the time you're 52 years young, you, your portfolio is now doubled in value from $1 million to $2 million. And so at that point, here's how the refi till you die plan starts. All this time, over those 12 years, hopefully you had positive cash flow, you had nice tax benefits, and now your property is worth $2 million. You go back to the bank and you say, hey, I've got this portfolio of these 10 properties in diverse markets. I'd like you to refinance them for 80% loan to value. So the bank says, sure. So we'll give you loans for $1.6 million. Your equity started out when you were 40 at $200,000. Now it's $400,000. And so your equity position has doubled. And your proceeds from this loan is $800,000 after you pay off all the other loans. Now, of course, you could structure these as second loans or home equity loans. You don't have to necessarily refi the first loans. I don't exactly know how you might want to structure this. I would just have to look 12 years into the future and decide at that time what is best. Uh, but the, the concept remains the same. So you've got double the equity. Your loans are now $1.6 million. Your equity is $400,000. And you have $800,000 in cash. In cash. You take this $800,000. You don't invest it. 
you stick it under your mattress. Okay, not really, but I'm just, I'm not imputing an investment return on it. I'm just saying you earn nothing on the 800,000. All you do is divide it by 12 for the next 12 years. And you have basically $67,000 in tax-free income to spend over the next 12 years because there's no tax on borrowed money. So what we're trying to do is make our wealth creation plan tax efficient. And this is the most tax efficient way to extract wealth from your real estate portfolio. So watch what happens now. Questions? Well, stop me with questions. Go ahead. I was going to say, if you take that 800 grand divided by 12, that's $67,000 a year. Right. Tax-free income. Yep. That you now have. Okay. And, and you could be, and hopefully you will be, investing that and you'll earn an actual return on it. I'm doing super simple math here. Okay. Yep. So I'm, I'm assuming you won't earn a return on it. You know, like since you built your real estate portfolio 12 years ago, you got really dumb and you don't know how to invest anymore. <laughs> you know, so say it goes backwards, right? Okay. All right. Uh, so, so no return on the investment. You just spend, divide by 12, spend $67,000 a year tax-free, which, you know, that'd be equivalent to maybe $110,000 in taxable, okay? So that's a, a decent job for sure. Uh, I mean, keep in mind, the average household income in the United States is something like $52,000 a year. Right. So here you're more than double what that is, right? Okay, so now you're 52. You go another 12 years. You're 64 years young, Okay your portfolio has doubled again. The $1 million portfolio that was worth $2 million 12 years ago is now worth $4 million. You've got a $3 million gain on that portfolio. You go to the bank and you say, I'd like to refinance 80% loan to value. They'll give you loans for $3.2 million. Your equity has now doubled again as well. You've got $800,000 in equity on the portfolio. And the bank is going to give you cash out proceeds of $1.6 million. So now you're going to take and divide $1.6 million by 12, and you're going to have $133,000 tax-free dollars to spend for each of the next 12 years. This beats the heck out of Social Security, okay? Huh. <laughs> and, and remember, counting on appreciation though, right? moderate. This is nothing special is happening here. This is just historical appreciation numbers of only 6%. 6%. 6% in the course of how many each years? Year, each year for 12 years. Okay. That's the refi to you die cycle. So now we're at the 24th year. Okay? And as we know, as we get older, 24 years will pass in the blink of an eye. And I can tell you how to do this a little faster, too. I've got a, I've another version I call the seven-year itch of refi <laughs> till you die, okay? And you can, you can do it in seven years, too. There's another uh, cycle that I'll, I'll give you for your website. But think about how exciting this is. All this time, we've had positive cash flow in these properties, of maybe, you know, each property generates maybe two or three hundred dollars a month positive cash flow. Okay. And so that's, you know, two or three thousand dollars per month on 10 properties. We've got tremendous tax benefits because income property is the most tax favored asset in America. And and now let's do one more cycle. 
We've got our 1.6 million. We're spending 133,000 tax-free dollars every year to live on. One more cycle. Let's go 12 more years. Okay. And uh, now, how old are we now? We're 76. 76 okay. Mm-hmm. 76 years young, which by the time anyone listening is 76, 76 will be younger than it is today. Okay. Right. Huge, huge breakthroughs in longevity sciences are, are we're on the verge of them. So now the property, the portfolio has doubled again. It went from $4 million to $8 million. You've got a $7 million gain. You go to the bank and say, hey, I'd like to borrow 80% loan to value. They give you loans for $6.4 million. Your equity has now doubled again to $1.6 million. And you have cash out of $3.2 million. $3 million. $200,000 divide by 12, you have $250,000 per year tax free income. Unbelievable. Now, this is the get rich slow plan. Okay. Yeah. You know, this is not what you're going to see. It's this is just not sexy. It's boring. You know, you're not going to see this on a late night infomercial. Uh, I, I so wish. I had testimonials of people saying, oh, yeah, I follow Jason Hartman's system and, you know, I made $100,000 in my first week. <laughs> you know, it's not like <laughs> right. that, you know. I'm writing all this down. That's really good, to, helpful to look at those numbers like that. I've got a couple questions. Um, that cash flow that comes in, are you, you encourage your students to set that aside for um, capital improvements for, you know, because – that that's 20, 30 years of holding the same property. It's going to need a new roof. It's going to need new appliances. It's going to need extensive updating over that, that 20, 30 years. Yeah, good point. I wouldn't hold all of that cash flow. You're not going to need that much, okay? okay. I mean, you know, a, a new roof is going to cost you, what, you know, $2,500, $3,000. I mean, it depends what kind of roof you put on, of course, and how big the property is and what type of roof it is. But, uh you know, yes, your properties will need maintenance, but we've got maintenance in the performa, okay? Anywhere between 2 and 8% of the income is already performant for maintenance. We've got vacancy in right. there. Okay. And the, re- the reality is the vacancies a lot of times are lower than the performa. Okay. I mean, I've had a tenant stay in one of my properties for nine years. My mom has a tenant who's been in one of her properties. You may have heard her on my podcast on the Creating Wealth Show. And that tenant's been in her property since 1989. (laughs) She just raises the rent every year and the guy never moves. Okay. Okay. Uh, And, you know, so it may work out a lot better than you think. Maybe appreciation will happen faster. I mean, heck, you know, if we have a lot of inflation, this appreciation is going to happen a lot quicker than this. Well, now what happens though, you're, you're 76 years old and you owe six and a half million dollars. No, you don't. Your properties owe that money. Okay. You're well, what happens? Do you keep on refinancing that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Refi till you die. Well, that's God, why it's called Let's that. say you die. Now what? Yeah. Then, oh, that's even better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how? Why? No, dying is not good, but it's going to happen to all of us, right? None of us will get out alive, right? Right. So, so I've got four children now, right? And let's say they're, oh, one, I'm 80, uh, what's 76. There? You die. So, okay. 
76, but you're going to live a lot longer than 76, I hope. Okay. By the time you're there, you know, the life expectancy will increase quite a bit, I'm sure. And I'm starting a new show on this. I've been, I've been recording a lot of interviews. It's called the longevity show. I've been really fascinated by longevity science because I think it has broad ranging implications for the economy, for, uh, you know, our social life and just everything. And, um, and it's quite fascinating what's going on in the world of longevity sciences now. That is interesting. Um, so what happens when you die? Well, under current law, and I do have to say that I'm not a tax advisor and I'm not an attorney. So tax and legal advice, seek out the appropriate professionals. But my understanding sure. under current law, basis steps up to market value. Uh, you can exchange these properties all your life and um, do 1031 tax deferred exchanges. But under current law, you pass away. The properties step up in, in, in value the basis steps up to current market value. Your heirs can sell them, and they will not pay capital gains. So Interesting. it's pretty awesome. It's the most tax-favored asset in America. Interesting. If, if you owned a business, that would not happen that way. Your heirs would be forced probably to sell that business just to pay the taxes. And that happens all the time. You know what's interesting? I was listening to somebody talk about – being entrepreneurs, you always think about building a business to last, you know, and building a business that you can sell. And he brought up a really interesting point because a lot of people work really hard. They work 50, 60, 70 hours a week to build this great business so that they can sell it someday and and live very, very comfortably after they sell their business. So you've got to put in your dues now. You've got to work real hard now. Um, but the guy was saying, we need to rethink that, go backwards a little bit, and let's develop a business that is really simple, that only requires a small staff. You take the profits, put them into income-producing assets, and over time, by the time you want to retire, now you have built up these this this uh, these income-producing assets to give you the same comfort in retirement that you would have had if you were working 60, 70 hours a week with a huge business and lots of employees to sell a business. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And it's it's about living comfortably, living the life that you want now and not having to work so hard to get to that same level that you can have in the future. These are really deep, deep concepts, Jason, and you've definitely put a lot more thought into this than most other people have. And I think um, if if people want to get more information about all this, they should definitely go to your podcast, your website, Creating Wealth. Uh, but what uh, what's a good way? I know you got to go here, Jason. What's a good way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, so the website is just my name, jasonhartman.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-H-A-R-T-M-A-N.com, jasonhartman.com. And I'm on Twitter at jasonhartmanroi, as in return on investment. And uh, the podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, all the usual places, and it's called The Creating Wealth Show. Creating Wealth Show. It's a really good show. You You interview some fascinating people on there. Um, and you talk a lot more about these specific topics. And I, I, it, you guys are going to like the show. If you've not heard of Jason already for some reason, uh, you're going to like what he has to say here. And he makes you think. I mean, you, you're a real deep thinker. You think big picture, Jason. That's one thing I love about your show. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You know, I try to sort of stay on topic with some of the more tactical real estate stuff. 
I don't do a great job of that, admittedly. <laughs> you know, I, I like these big macro concepts about economics and investing a lot, but uh, I, I try I try to make it a, a good balance between the two. That's good. Um, Alex, do you, I, I wanted to ask you more questions about traveling because you travel a lot. Sure, yeah. Um, but uh, I know you got to go here. Maybe yeah, that's... Go, I got a few minutes. Go oh, for it. Okay. Um, and Alex, please interrupt. I know you might have another question or two, but... Sure. Um, you travel quite a bit, Jason. How do you run your business while you're traveling like you do? Well, uh, it's, uh, you know, nowadays we're all connected so easily and, uh, with technology, it, it just makes it pretty easy to do that. But, you know, traveling is harder. I mean, when, when I travel, I've noticed that, uh, in the 73 countries I've visited, uh, and some I've visited multiple times, but 73 different countries. And, uh, when I travel, you know, business is more in maintenance mode, uh, and, uh, you know, being proactive, I think it kind of does require you to be settled a little bit at a, at a desk and collect your thoughts, you know, jumping around from hotel to coffee shop to use the Wi-Fi. <laughs> you know, right. That's not super efficient. Uh, but, uh, but it is great that we can do it at all. So you can maintain your business and take care of reactive things pretty easily. Uh, but being proactive, you know, it's a little harder when you travel because, of course, you're distracted. But, uh, but I do love to travel. And I've looked at uh, real estate in many, many, many of the places I've traveled to. And I got to tell you, um, I would love to be talking about investing in and promoting international investments but the United States is a really special place when it comes to income property investing. Yeah. And uh, I just can't find anything that works. I mean, I have looked all over Central America, South America, Europe, uh, even in Asia looking at real estate deals. And the U.S. is pretty special in uh -huh. in this way. I think the best investments are... Uh, right here in the good old U.S. of A. But we've got to remember that there's no such thing as a national housing market. There are really, uh, in a country as large and diverse as the United States, there are really about 400 different distinct real estate markets here. So when we hear these idiots talking on CNBC or, you know, you read their stuff in the news media uh, and they say, oh, the housing market is doing this or the housing market is doing that. I mean, they're, they're, it's, you can't talk that way in a country as large as, as the U.S. Uh, there, there are too many markets here. Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. So why, why do you travel so much, Jason? Just hang out with your family to travel, see the world, or do you do it to look for opportunities? You know, all of the above. I mean, I think that uh, uh, travel is really important to broaden one's perspective and, uh, you know, just curiosity. I just love to see things. I, I have this morbid curiosity about uh, communism and dictatorships and things. I've been to Cuba, hmm. uh, where the average Cuban worker makes like $10 a month. And, um, you know, if people think the healthcare is better in Cuba, they're probably crazy. But, um, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'd love to go to North Korea. I did a show on that recently with a guy, Jordan Harbinger, who you may have heard of. He's got the Art of Charm podcast, and he actually does tours into North Korea, which really? I, I couldn't believe. I didn't know that about him. Wow. So I had him on my travel show, the Jet Setter show. But, uh, it, you know, I think it's just really good. It broadens, it broadens our thinking, right? <laughs> yeah. And you can do a podcast from anywhere in the world. Have you ever looked in your stats? to see how how many people all over the world listen to your podcast? 
It, yeah, it's amazing. We've got listeners in 164 countries. Yeah. And uh, some of them, you know, there's just like one listener in Kenya, for example. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I think last time I looked, we had 120 something different countries um, from in, in from Africa, from um, uh, all I saw. It told me Korea. I didn't know if that was South or North Korea, but um, it's probably South Korea. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, that's incredible. That's um, that's amazing. So, guys, we should uh, we should get we should end the show here. But if you go to Real Estate Investing Mastery and go to the show notes, uh, Jason's going to give us the Ten Commandments to Real Estate Investing, and also give us some uh, more numbers so you guys can study and analyze this and make a decision for yourself if this is something that you feel like you want to do on how to refi till you die. Um, it's something that uh, I know a lot of people obviously interested in because that's that is one good thing about real estate is that you can it's, it is the best way to create wealth and and how you go about that is obviously a personal decision that everybody needs to make um but it's something to think about obviously and jason you definitely have made made me think about that and this oh, is good. definitely I'm, some advanced stuff here. right here oh yeah I think you're the most advanced host we've ever had, Jason. This is, yeah, this is well, not, thank you. Yeah, you know, sign a contract and get five thousand bucks. This is uh, exactly, you know. exactly. This is long-term investing, but you know what? Next time we talk, I'd love to come on your show and explain what I call my risk evaluator, which is a great way to dramatically limit risk when investing in properties. Well, let, let's go ahead and book that, Jason. After this show, let's let's get that on the calendar because I'd love to interview you again. We'll do it. I'll be happy to happy to come on and talk to your listeners about that. All right, guys. So to get more information on Jason, go to jasonhartman.com, uh, Twitter, Jason Hartman ROI, and uh, your excellent podcast on iTunes. If you just go to iTunes or Stitcher um, and do a search for uh, Jason Hartman, you'll see all of his shows in there. And But your, your most popular show is The Creating Wealth Show. I even see an episode on here where you talk about Bitcoin. Yeah, um, oh, we've talked about Bitcoin a lot, which, uh, by the way, I'll just say as a parting thought, I would love to be wrong about Bitcoin, but I don't think it has a, a huge future. Uh, but I'd love to be wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to be wrong this yeah. time, but I, I don't think I'm going to be wrong. <laughs> okay, so. good, good, good. And you're, you, uh, you have an episode here about why the U.S. dollar will not collapse. Yeah. And I agree with that, actually. Yeah, wow. I think that I think the dollar is a lot stronger than people want to say it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I don't think China is as strong as everybody thinks they are. No, I agree with you completely, Joe. You know, China, you just wait 10, 15 years and China is going to be in. They got big problems ahead. Mm-hmm. China is not. Uh, I'm not bullish on China. They if you look at a per, the percent of, of uh, people in China that are poor in, in the below the poverty level, um, it's it's some of it's one of the highest in the world. Um, they have a long ways to go before their economy will be anywhere close to as strong as the United States. So we're, we're going to be around a while, I think. <laughs> That's my opinion. Okay, anyway, um, thanks, everybody. Uh, we've enjoyed this interview, Jason. Thank you so much. Thank Great you, call. Joe. Thanks, Alex, and happy investing to everybody. See you all later. Goodbye. See ya.